Man, that was incredible, wasn't it? Good job, team. Hey, uh, it is so great to be here with you all tonight. Man, I, I just love getting together, worshiping with you. Uh, so, so let me start by saying this. Uh, I, you can say what you want, but it's hard to deny that in the last uh, decade or so, there hasn't been an athlete that is more controversial, more polarizing than Tim Tebow. Uh, I know this is two weeks in a row that we're talking about Tim Tebow here at Veritas, but it's true, right? There, there hasn't been an athlete in the last decade or so. In fact, Skip Bayless, a few years ago on ESPN, he says not just the last decade, in, in all of sports history, there hasn't been a more polarizing athlete than Tim Tebow. See, the thing about Tim Tebow is, is that, that people love him, they hate him. He's well-liked, he's disliked. He's universally loved and loathed all at the same time. Why? Well, it seems like everybody kind of has their opinions about Tim Tebow, even if you don't really know much about him. But one of the things that often comes up with respect to Tim Tebow and the cultural conversations surrounding him is his outspoken faith in Jesus. And more specifically, what that outspoken faith in Jesus, how it manifests in his life, how it shapes him, how it has changed him, how it transforms how he lives. See, for Tim Tebow, Jesus isn't just something that he wore on his eye black. It wasn't just a cute thing that he did in the end zone that became something called Tebowing. It's not just quotes that go on social media. No, Jesus profoundly changed Tim Tebow's life. And see, even if you don't know much about his story, maybe you know this, that, that before he was married, he's married now, but before he was married, Tim Tebow was, was committed to this idea that, that God wanted sex to be saved for marriage. Tim Tebow believed that, that sex was something that should be saved for marriage, which became often something that he was mocked for. So there's this story, uh, apparently he was dating a model at one point, and it came out, this is years ago, uh, it, it came out that they broke up, and the rumor was that the reason why they broke up is because of his views of sex. Now later that story was refuted, or, or at least disputed, and so I suppose we don't really know, but, but before it was disputed, uh, Tim Tebow became the butt of joke after joke after joke in and around our culture. So, so sports commentators routinely said things like this. They said, Tim Tebow can't find the end zone. You looked on the internet and you'd read headlines like this. For once, it's not Tim Tebow who's having trouble scoring. It's his girlfriend. You get the idea, right? I mean, on and on and on and on. And Tim Tebow became the butt of a joke because of his views of sex. Now, I want us to compare and, and maybe contrast Tim Tebow and, and, and the response that, that our culture had for Tim Tebow's views of sexuality with a different athlete around the same time. Around the same time that, that a lot of these things were being talked about publicly, there was another athlete, Jason Collins. If you don't know Jason Collins, Jason Collins was a 13-year NBA veteran at the time. This is years ago. And Jason Collins became the first active player in any major male sport in America to publicly come out as gay. Now, when he came out, he, he came out, he wrote an essay in Sports Illustrated. And the response to that essay was things like, hey, Jason Collins is trailblazing. This, this essay that Jason Collins wrote is so thoughtful. It's deeply courageous. See, it's interesting, the, the overwhelming reaction to Jason Collins coming out was, 
was positive. It was praiseworthy. Now, to be honest, I have very little interest right now in talking about Jason Collins' sexuality. What I'm more interested in is the public response. The public response, because what you have is you have two different guys following two different paths, two different views of their sex and sexuality. And you have this cultural contrast with respect to how the culture responds. So one of these guys is mocked, one is praised, one is celebrated, one's condemned. Why? Why this stark contrast between two athletes just trying to follow their views of what sex and sexuality should be? Well, what people said eventually about Tim Tebow was because everything that Tim Tebow was suggesting and saying and standing for and believing in, they said, Tim Tebow's just backwards. See, saving sex for marriage, that was ridiculous in contrast to the progress of our culture's evolving views of sexuality. And so with Jason Collins, they said, hey, what Jason Collins is doing, Jason Collins is, is kind of pushing the cultural conversation about sex and uh, pushing the conversation forward. But what Tim Tebow does is, is Tim Tebow, yeah, he's just holding us back. Collins pushes forward. Tebow holds us back. So Trevin Wax, he's an author. He wrote a book called uh, This Is Our Time. It's kind of where I get these stories from. But he's commenting on, on what's going on in our culture when these guys, when, when, when the response is happening. And, and more specifically, he says that, that it was interesting to watch the culture respond because it exposed this myth that our culture believes about sex. It exposed this story, maybe that's a better way of saying, this story that our culture tends to believe and say about sex, and it's this. It's this idea, he says, that progress means loosening or abandoning the traditional moral beliefs that have undergirded our society. So abandoning, loosening those in favor of what? A newfound understanding of freedom and pleasure. He goes on, he says, and it's the idea that holding fast to the ancient beliefs about sexuality is damaging to society and it's dangerous for the individual. So what Trevin Wax is saying, if you get kind of lost, it's a little bit wordy. If you get lost in what he's saying, he's saying that there's this myth in our culture. There's this story that our culture is telling you and me that, that progress, what progress is, well, it's shedding old beliefs. It's shedding ancient beliefs. It's shedding arcane beliefs in favor of something else, in favor of this newfound pursuit of freedom, this newfound pursuit of pleasure. And he says that, that holding on, he goes even further, he says not only is, is that what progress is, he says holding on to the past, well, that's damaging to society and it's dangerous to us as individuals. And so what progress has become in our culture is this idea that we're chasing freedom, we're chasing pleasure, that's progress. And I think regardless of what we believe about God, I think if we're honest, right, that, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about it, chasing freedom, chasing pleasure, that, that's kind of what we all want, if we're really honest. The freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, for however long we want, so long as it doesn't hurt someone, reasonably speaking. And maybe you've heard me say that at Veritas. I say it all the time, and it's, the reason I say it is because I think it's true. I think it's, if it's not the highest value, it's one of the highest values of American culture, this idea of, of individual freedom, this idea of self-expression, this idea of, of being able to follow our desires moment by moment, wherever they lead us. 
And what's interesting is that our culture, it's, it's taught us, it's trained us that, that the primary way, or at least one of the primary ways that, that we chase that pleasure, we chase that freedom, it's through our sexuality. And so we're in this, we've been doing this series, if you're new to Veritas, we've been doing this series this semester, we're talking about different questions that you all are answering, or asking, we're trying to answer. And this question that gets asked all the time is this, what's wrong with hooking up? What's wrong with hooking up? People ask me that all the time, not always just like that, but they say, okay Kyle, I don't get it, like, what's the big deal with Christians and sex? I don't understand. What's, what's so bad about hooking up? What's the problem with hooking up? And to be honest, when people ask me these questions, I really get it. I totally empathize with the question. I, I do think that, that that's a legitimate question to be asking because, to be honest, it makes perfect sense to me that in a culture where, where sexual freedom is increasingly seen as progress, when that's progress, exploring our sexuality is progress, well, Jesus and Jesus' views, the Bible's teaching, yeah, it gets in the way of that, right? It seems kind of backwards. It, it blocks our freedom. It, it seems like it impedes our pleasure. I was downtown the other day, last week, and there was a guy walking around. I wanted to take a picture of him, but I realized it would be super weird. Because he's wearing a shirt that just said, virginity sucks. Like, just big white, black shirt, just big white block letters, Virginity sucks. And, and my first reaction was like, that's really dumb. And then I thought more, I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't know if this dude's joking or if this dude's serious, but I thought, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Right? Because that's the story I think that our culture is telling us. It's the, the story that our culture is, is trying to convince us that, that if we're not hooking up, we don't have the good life. That, that hooking up is, in fact, the key to the good life. That if you aren't hooking up, if we aren't hooking up, well, we're, we're missing out. We're missing out. Reminds me of a uh, freshman, uh, so a few years ago, not connected here at Veritas. Uh, so um, I didn't know him, uh, but I knew his story. And the reason I knew his story is because it was super public. Uh, literally, it seemed like the entire campus uh, was, was talking about it, and it's, it, it, the, his story is this, it, it goes like this. So he came to college, and, and like many people, contrary to belief, uh, hadn't had sex. Came to college, had never had sex, uh, and says that, shares that with his friends. And when his friends find out, of course, they give him a hard time. Are you kidding me? You haven't had sex, you haven't hooked up, blah, 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 right? Like, and so, so what they do is they, they hatched a plan, they made it their mission, we've got to get this guy, we've got to find someone for him to hook up this semester, hook up with. And, and that's literally what they did. And so when I say that that story, when, when I say that, that his story became the talk of campus, it literally became the talk of, I mean, there was a hashtag going around about this, uh, about this thing. There were, I'm not even kidding, there were stickers made. Literally, it seemed like everybody on campus, you couldn't go very far without hearing about the freshmen whose friends were trying to find someone for him to hook up with. And after a month or two, you know what happened? He did. He did. And after he did, you know what happened? They threw a giant party at Harpo's. Literally, everyone went to Harpo's. Not even kidding. Harpo's hung a banner from the roof. It said, congrats with his name. People put congrats signs in his front yard. It was obvious where the dude lived. Right? This giant party on campus because a guy finally hooked up. Because hooking up it's the key to the good life, right? If you're not hooking up, you're missing out. 
very different story, completely unrelated, but a, a, a Mizzou student a few years ago, she reached out to me. She said, hey, I'd really like to get together and talk. Um, I'm, I'm having a really hard time. And I said, yeah, sure, what's up? And so we got together, and she told me. She said, hey, uh, my, my boyfriend broke up with me, and I'm having a really hard time. And when I say she's having a really hard time, I mean she was having a really hard time. Like, she was pretty devastated. Her words, she was going through some depression. Uh, it was a really, really hard thing for her. It was completely unexpected, um, obviously very attached. Um, and, and she wasn't just devastated. She was really confused. And I asked, I said, so why the confusion? And I thought maybe it had to do with the actual relationship. And it was actually because uh, she had went in her kind of depression, in her sadness, in not really knowing what to do with that. She went to uh, one of the counselors on campus. Now, this is years ago, and so things have probably changed drastically, and so this is not a comment per se on the state of counseling on campus, uh, but this is a true story, and this is what she said to me. She said, hey, I went to this counselor, and I saw her, and when I was sharing kind of what was going on and how I was feeling, she said, you know what the counselor said to me? She said that I should probably just go out that night, that weekend, and find someone to hook up with, and, and maybe that would help me get over the guy. Just go find someone to hook up with because that will help ease the pain of the breakup. Now, those, those are very different stories, right? Completely, drastically different stories. But I think they both highlight something about hooking up in our culture. They both highlight how casual we've become with the idea of hooking up. I think it's why uh, online dating apps, right, like Tinder and Bumble and Grindr and I'm sure lots of others, and you're even thinking like, bro, why'd you say that? It's not even a thing anymore. Like, it was a thing, right? It's why they've become so prolific. I mean, two years ago, 2020, was the most recent statistics I could find. Tinder alone said that they had 75 million monthly active users, most there just to flick a finger so that they could find someone to hook up with as often as they wanted, whenever they liked. So I was reading this article. It was called Tinder in the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse, right? So this idea that with these online dating apps, uh, dating is dead and Tinder and hooking up has come. And it was, I don't know if I should say interesting or sad or somewhere in between, but, but you just read all these stories of people's experiences with these kinds of apps. And, and I picked out a few different things that were said. One, one was this, sex has become so easy, I can go on my phone right now. This is in an interview. I can go on my phone right now and no doubt I can find someone to have sex with tonight. So easy. I can just pull my phone out, swipe, 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 find someone, hook up tonight. Another guy, he brags, he says this. It gets kind of worse. I hooked up with three girls from Tinder in the course of four nights, and I spent a total of $80 on all three girls. We talked for a total of 15 minutes and then hooking up, and then hook up. Three girls, four nights, $80, 15 minutes, hook up. See, sex, it's just become so casual in our culture. So casual. I mean, this might sound a little crass to say, it's like riding a bird scooter, right? You remember bird scooters? I don't really know if bird scooters are still a thing. I think they are. I just haven't been on one in a while. But here's the deal. What's the thing? How do you ride a bird? You find it, and then you use it, and then literally when you're done with it, you walk away from it, right? And I don't mean to make a joke out of it, but it's pretty much the same thing with hookup culture, right? You, you find what you want. You use it as long as you want it. And then when you're done, what do you do? You walk away. You walk away from it. 
You walk away, no strings attached, because it's that casual. It's that casual. So uh, uh, college students talking with an author, Naomi Wolf, and she says this. It's a female. She says, why get to know someone first? It's a waste of time. If you hook up, you can just get your needs met and move on your way. You see what she's saying here? Sex is being, and it's not just her, right? But, but sex, it's being reduced to, to a physical urge. There's, there's no emotion, no connection, no relationship, no commitment. It's this depersonalization of sex. We've depersonalized hooking up to the point that, that it's simply there for what? Just to meet a physical need. Right? That's all it is. We're just hooking up because we've got physical needs. Why get to know someone? Just hook up, get your needs met, move on. And I can't not mention the fact that I think the most obvious example of this depersonalization of sex in our culture, it's pornography. It's pornography. See, by, I, I, the reason I say that is because by nature, what does porn do? By its nature, what does porn do? It trains us to disconnect the man or woman's body on a screen from any interest in who he or she is as a human being. All that person becomes is an object, an instrument for what? Just to meet my physical needs. And I think it's worth acknowledging, it's not lost on me, that your generation, no generation has had porn so available in such extremes from such a young age as yours. No generation in the history of the world has had porn so accessible at such extremes at such a young age as yours. James Emery White in his book, Meet Gen Z, he says this, talking about these things. He says, the average age to start watching pornography is 11 years old, and 70% of all 18, 18 to 34-year-olds are regular viewers. See, for the first time in history, porn is pretty much available to anyone who wants it, at any time, at any age, all of which in the privacy of our own homes. Now, on the surface, when we say it like that, that kind of sounds like our definition of progress earlier, right? Like the, the freedom to pursue and, and gratify pleasure, the freedom to chase what I want moment by moment. That's what we want. See, I think this begs the question, at least for me, it begs the question, how is this working out? Right? How is this going for, like, have we stopped to think, how is this actually working out for us? Maybe a different way of asking it is, is it actually making us happy? Is it actually satisfying us? Is it actually fulfilling the promises that, that it supposedly is making to us? So about a year ago, Billie Eilish is doing this interview with Howard Stern. Maybe you saw or heard about it. Um, and one of the interesting things in this interview that they're, they're talking about, they, Howard Stern starts, I don't know, because he's this kind of guy, he starts talking about porn and, and asks her straight up, ask her about pornography and how she used porn and what has porn. And, she's, and, and Billie Eilish, she, she goes on this rant, not rant, but like she starts getting really honest, pretty vulnerable. And she starts talking about how she started viewing porn when she was 11 years old. And I don't think Howard Stern expected this, but then she kind of pivoted and, and started talking about the impact that it's made on her life. It's pretty heavy, but this is what she says. She says, I think it, pornography, really destroyed my brain. And I feel incredibly devastated that I was exposed to so much porn. I'd watch abusive BDSM, and that's what I thought was attractive. It got to a point where I couldn't watch anything else unless it was violent. I didn't think it was attractive. That's Billie Eilish. And, and I get that that's heavy. But I, I'm, I'm bringing it up because for Billie Eilish at least, 
pornography, it hasn't been freeing. It hasn't made her happier. She says that it's devastated her. The impact that pornography's had on her life for however long, however many years, it's, it's destroyed part of her. Unless you think that I'm just like cherry picking like this extreme example just to make a point, like there are literally example after example, experience after experience, study after study talking about the same kinds of things. In fact, Time Magazine recently re- released a report around the question. They, they started asking, okay, if, if boys have started watching, specifically on boys, if boys have started watching pornography around the age of 11, by the time that they're young adults, they've been watching porn for roughly a decade, what's that doing to their relationships with real women? What's it doing to their relationships with real women? This is, this is what they find, or what they said. Many of them, these guys are simply unable to experience a sexual response with a real live woman. They are only able to respond to pornography. In fact, they prefer pornography. You see what that's, what this is saying is that what pornography is doing, it's training us to prefer a screen over a person. I mean, think about that for a second. Pornography is training us, we might not realizing, realize it, but over time it's training us to, to want a screen over a human being Impersonal sex over connection and intimacy. But that's, that's what hookup culture kind of does. That's the point of hookup culture. It's casual, no strings attached. See, whether it's casual hookups or, or pornography, what it does is it, it glamorizes this idea that sex can be impersonal, sex can be casual, sex hooking up, it's, it's no strings attached, no big deal. But the thing about it is it always fails. I've never heard hookup culture promote itself and then say, you know what, it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to satisfy you. Even the person seeking it, it's not going to actually make you happier. In fact, it's often the opposite. So, so Donna Friedis, she's a researcher. She's done hundreds and hundreds of interviews with college students talking about their experiences with hookup culture. And, and, and this is what she, how she kind of summarizes a lot of these interviews. She says, I've learned that students have to work hard to disassociate their feelings from their sexual encounters. They find their meaningless encounters disappointing. They feel hurt and lonely. Privately, they wish they knew how to do more, how to create a genuine relationship in which they're known and appreciated for who they are as a person. Who they are as a person. See, it's interesting. Miley Cyrus agrees with this, too. She says this. She says, effing's easy. You can find someone to F in five seconds. But we want, I want someone I can talk to and be ourselves with. That's fairly slim pickings. Anybody can find anybody to hook up with. That's not hard. It's increasingly easy in our culture. Just pull your phone out. It can happen tonight. But I want someone that I, can, that I can talk to, someone that I can be myself with. And you know what? That's, that's hard to find. Man, this, this quote for me, is, it's just so sad. Because do you hear her, her longing for intimacy, her longing for connection, her longing to not be an object but to be treated as a person and to be with someone who is a person? Do you hear that in what she's saying here? See, I just want to suggest that maybe the fact that, that all of this stuff, all hookup culture, pornography, maybe the fact that, that it's not actually going well, maybe the fact that it's not actually working, maybe the fact that it's not actually making us any happier, maybe the fact that it's not actually as fulfilling as it seems like it is, maybe it's not actually freeing us at all, maybe that's telling us something. Maybe it's telling us something. Maybe it's telling us that, that God might actually know what he's doing. 
that God might actually know what he's doing when he places boundaries around sex. That, that Tim Tebow wasn't just holding on to something archaic and irrelevant, but that there was something that he believed about God that was true and real and good. Is he going back to our question tonight, what's wrong with hooking up? I know I haven't really talked much about the Bible, but the Bible's response to this question it's overly simplistic, but the Bible's response to this question is that hooking up, hookup culture, the problem with it, what's wrong with it, is it tears down something that God intended for good. Hookup culture, hooking up, it, it, it tears down something that God intends for good. It depersonalizes something that God intended, created, wants to be the most personal thing, something that's incredibly Hookup culture depersonalized something that God wants to be incredibly personal in the right context, which I think is the heart of the issue, right? See, hooking up, that's not the problem. If we come in thinking the problem with hookup is hooking up, that's not really what I'm saying. The problem isn't hooking up. The problem is hooking up outside of God's design. See, God is pro-sex. Maybe that sounds odd to say. But the reason I say it is because I know that some of you, I've had conversations with you, some of you grew up around church or maybe even in church where that wasn't the message that was taught. It was not taught that God is pro-sex. It was taught that God is against sex. Sex is bad. Sex is not good. Sex is something, particularly as young people, that we should feel dirty about, shame for. But that's not at all the story that we see in the Bible. When you read the Bible, you see that God is very much pro-sex. In fact, it was his idea because he created it. In the earliest pages of the Bible, God creates what? Man and woman, male and female. The man first, and he says it's not good for the man to be alone, and so he creates the woman, the female, and he unites them in marriage. And then what does he do to them? After they're married, he says, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, he literally commands them to be fruitful and multiply. And then he steps back and he says, everything that I've created, everything that I've said, it's good. It's, it's very good. Now, I bring that up to say, this, that what part of that means is that our desires for sex are not wrong. See, if you've heard me say or you think that, that the desire to have sex is bad, that's not at all what I'm saying. God created you to have those desires. God created you with those urges. We're sexual beings, but God also knows that there are boundaries that need to be in place for sex. God gives us boundaries. Why? Because he knows what's best for us. He knows that, that sex, it's not casual. Sex, it's not no strings attached. That something is happening, whether we know it or not, something powerful is happening when we have sex with another human being. This is what we read in Genesis 2, picking up in 24. Therefore, this is God saying, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and unashamed. This is the first explicit reference of sex in the Bible. This is the picture that God gives. I mean, think about this for a second. Just, just ponder these verses. A man and a wife, naked and unashamed, total trust, complete vulnerability, nothing to hide. They're naked and unashamed. That's the context with which God intends sex. That's what God created sex to be, an overwhelmingly positive thing. But contrast that with what we've been talking about with hookup culture, right? Contrast that picture of sex with the story that, that is being told in our culture, the, the pain, the loneliness, the meaninglessness, 
the isolation that comes with hookup culture, that often comes with just thinking that sex is casual. See, despite the, the cultural story saying that sex is no strings attached, what the Bible wants to say is that it's never no strings attached when we hook up with someone. That according to the Bible, there's always strings attached because God created it that way. That's the point. God created sex to unite the husband and the wife in the context of marriage, to unite them in the most intimate way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, to become one. See, what God is saying is that when we have sex, our bodies are making a promise. And so when we hook up with someone, what the Bible teaches is that, that our body, we're repeatedly making promises to that person, whether we know that or not. And so what that means is when we hook up outside of God's design for it, we're repeatedly breaking those promises that our bodies are making. And I think that's why it's really hard to break up when you've been having sex. I mean, if you've been there, you know that, right? It's really hard to walk away from a relationship where you've been having sex. It's really hard to stop when you've started experimenting sexually. It's really hard to just check our emotions at the door. It's almost impossible without drinking and using substances to numb ourselves from the reality that there is something going on. I can't just check out. That's because when you're hooking up, when we hook up, we're literally bonding ourselves to another person. That's what the Bible teaches. So, so music team, you guys can come back up. Um, I just want to, you know, go back to that question. If, you, if you're here, or maybe you even know someone who's asking that question, right? What's wrong with hooking up? Why do, why do Christians make such a big deal? Why does Jesus make such a big deal about sex? I get it. I, I, I just want to say it again. I get it. I understand. That's a legitimate question. But I also want to say that the reason why Jesus makes a big deal about sex, the reason why the Bible makes a big deal about sex, because it is a big deal. God created it. See, see contrary to belief, sometimes the, 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 we say that God has a low view of sex. God thinks sex. No, God has a really high view of sex. God created it that way. He created it to be powerful. He created it that, that in the right context, that sex, hooking up, it has this power to bring life, to, help, to bring health, to bring oneness, completeness to a husband and wife in the context of marriage. But the same power that can bring life when used and done outside of God's good design, well, that same power can quickly bring destruction damage, devastation like Billy Eilish talks about, pain, loneliness. See, not to be too heavy, but, but, but I just want to say this, that the problem with hooking up, I know that I haven't said nearly, I mean, the Bible says so much stuff about sex. I know that I've not said everything that there is to say about sex. I know it. I really, I know that. And if you want to talk about more, if I've not answered a question that you have, I'd I don't know if that's weird or not, but I'd love to talk to you more about it. Because I know that I haven't said everything about sex, but I, I just want to push back against this notion that, that the Bible's views of sex are, are archaic, that they're anti-progress, that they're just trying to... God's not trying to suck the fun out of your life. God knows what's best for you because he created you. He made you. He loves you. 
He wants what's best for you. And so the answer to the question, what's wrong with hooking up? Hooking up tears down the good that God wants in your life. It tears down what God intends for good. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we we come to you and to be honest, it's hard to talk about these things. It's hard to talk about sex. It's hard to talk about hooking up. It's hard to talk about these experiences because to be honest, there's so much baggage when it comes to this topic. So many questions, so many things we aren't sure of, so many moments of confusion, so many emotions, good and bad. And God, I just pray that that this might just be the beginning of a conversation. That this isn't the last word on sex. This isn't all there is to say. But it's an opportunity to start a conversation, to push back against this narrative in our culture that that hooking up is no big deal, that, that hooking up is casual. It's not. You created it to not be that. God, I know that some of us in here have made some mistakes. Maybe we're feeling a level of guilt and shame. And I just pray that you would encourage those of us who feel that way, that you would just encourage us to remember that we don't have to feel shame because you cover that that you died for it, you rose for it, that, that if our faith is in you, if we confess that to you, you are quick to forgive, quick to show mercy, quick to show grace. And some of us in here, terrible things have happened to us that aren't our fault. And we need to turn to you. I pray that you would draw near to those of us, that you would give us, bring the healing that we need because of those things. Oh, Jesus, we want, we want you. We want to want you. And so I pray that that you would do that in our lives, that you would draw near to us. And that as you do, we draw near to you. Encourage us, increase our faith. It's in your name we pray.